Mediated Conversation on SAFM. Good morning, Thursday morning, time for your Mediated Conversation this morning. Over the last few days, you may have noticed some problems with your internet services. It may be running more slowly, may not be working properly. You may have found that some of your streaming services or your conversations on WhatsApp are simply not working properly. The reason for this may be that two of the big data lines that connect us to the global internet have breaks in them. The ship that fixes them has only just arrived on our coast. But this is also a moment to examine how these services work. Why do some streaming services work during this time and some do not? And as streaming seems to be taking over or trying to take over from older television services, what does that reveal about how broadband internet and fiber internet, how it's spread to so many places in our country, which parts are still left underserved? First this morning, you'll hear from Jan Vermeulen, editor at mybroadband.co.za, a conversation we had with him about this yesterday. Then Brendan Peterson is a consultant and editor at reframed.co.za. And Arthur Goldstuck's been tracking the spread of fiber. He's the CEO at Worldwide Works. We start then with a conversation we had around Jan Vermeulen yesterday in which I asked him what the problems were with some of our internet services. Yes, so you, you, you have highlighted that we've got these undersea cable breaks, but uh, that doesn't tell the full story uh, this time around. So this has happened before, but back then, the wax cable represented almost 40% of our total international traffic or capacity available out of South Africa. That is no longer the case. Um, we've, we've seen cables like the ACE cable, which also has a break now, apparently, but there's the Peace cable, there's the Equiano cable, and then, of course, good old-fashioned... Um, Seacom uh, and Easy on the East Coast, and so w- there's there's a phenomenal amount of international capacity coming into the country, raising the question: Well, why does Wax have such a disproportionate impact? And the answer to that is because the companies that use this international bandwidth are overly reliant on Wax and do not have enough backup capacity on the various other options coming into the country. Okay, so it's all about. The fact that the companies that people use have been affected by this cable. Why does it take so long to fix? And Jan, I realize that we're talking about a cable that's four kilometers underwater. Yes, so there's a specialized ship that that, uh, gets dispatched to repair cables like this. It's called the Leon Thevenin, named for a a French scientist. And um, the the Leon Thevenin, unfortunately, was uh, anchored in Mombasa. Uh, the day the the cable broke due to what we suspect is an undersea rockfall in the Congo Canyon. And uh, so it takes about 10 days to get from Mombasa to Cape Town or the other way around. And uh, the the ship left Mombasa on the 12th of August. It took it nine days to get back to Cape Town, so they double-timed it. Um, It's back in Cape Town as of, I think, Sunday, the 21st. Sorry, that was Monday. And um, and so now it needs to resupply and then head for uh, three and a half thousand kilometers north, find the location of the break, bring that cable up onto the deck of the ship and fix it. So that's going to take probably at least another two weeks. There seem to be particular issues around this with a Facebook or a Disney Plus video. And I think face I think Disney Plus uses a different yes. provider. Why are they having such problems? Yes, and um, the, the, the simple answer there is they have not invested enough backup capacity. Now, Facebook, I can excuse to some extent because it is actually building its own cable in partnership with a bunch of 
uh, African and Asian telcos. So MTN, Facebook, China Telecom, they're, they're all part of a consortium building the Two Africa Cable. Now, the Two Africa Cable's already landed um, along the coast of South Africa, and it's making its way um, up the East Coast and towards Asia, but it's not live yet. And so Facebook might be saying, I'm not going to buy backup capacity um, uh, on a 10 or you know 20 year lease or whatever it, uh, it, the, the, the deals look like, um, when I've got my very own cable coming online within months. So Facebook, I might have some patience for. The, um, Disney Plus uses a provider called Akamai, and, and Akamai also provides services to TikTok. So people on TikTok might have um, experienced similar issues. And Akamai, um, I have currently zero patience for. They've they've um, been totally uncommunicative. They've not explained why they don't have sufficient backup capacity on alternative cables. They're a major provider of content delivery services um, to not just Disney Plus, but as I said, to TikTok as well. Um, this isn't some fly-by-night operation. They're a major, major global content delivery player, and they comp and they they basically the message I'm getting between the lines from them in South Africa is just not worth the extra investment into backup capacity and so suffer until the cable gets fixed. Sure. Uh, I mean, I would imagine they would lose business by doing it that way. Well, that that is um, uh, the, the risk. And I certainly hope Disney is reading them uh, and, and ByteDance, TikTok, um, is reading them the riot act over this. Um, because what we've also seen Facebook and Akamai do is they then all the traffic that would have come from, you know, our houses via our Internet service providers to local servers in Johannesburg, Durban and Cape Town, that traffic is being rerouted internationally. So in Facebook's case, they were rerouting us to Kenya and Europe. Um, I think somewhere in Spain. And um, in, in Disney's case, I was, you know, uh, doing, I had to conduct my own tests because everybody in the industry was so uncommunicative. And so I was doing my own routing tests on, for Disney Plus and, and my, my traffic was being routed to Malaysia. And what that does is it shifts the problem from, uh, you know, Facebook and, and Akamai purchasing the undersea capacity back onto our local internet service providers. So, you know, the Afri hosts and the MWebs and the Web Africas of the world are left scrambling to, to get additional capacity um, for, for traffic that they were not expecting. Um, and, and it just exacerbates the problem and, and it slows everything down. So now, instead of just Facebook and Disney being slow, everything else gets slowed because the poor internet service providers are buckling under the pressure. Jan Vermeulen from mybroadband.co.za speaking to us yesterday and just explaining some of the technicalities behind all of this. You with SFM, your mediated conversation continues around how information actually moves. 20 minutes to nine. Brendan Peterson is a consultant and editor at reframe.co.za. Brendan, good morning. Thanks for your time. Thanks so much, Stephen. I find this issue of why some streaming services are sort of more reliable than others so interesting. Are there big differences between how they actually work behind the scenes? I mean, the short answer is no. The slightly more complicated answer is slightly. Um, Jan actually hit on some of it with what he was saying about capacity. So if you look at a, a platform like Netflix, for example, right, you know, sort of arguably the oldest, most well-known name in the game, Netflix, um, what they're very good at is the compression. So, you know, a large data file, you know, could say, take up, I don't know, two gigs or something. The way they're transmitting it is obviously compressing it down so they can stream far easier to your device, like whatever you're watching it on. Um, so you're still getting great resolution, you know, but it's also not taking up as much time to get there. They have 
probably the best compression algorithm in the game. And, you know, that's not something they're going to share. But the other advantage that they have is they're using Amazon Web Services, AWS, for most of uh, the entire platform. You know, and AWS uh, has servers all around the world. You know, they're not sharing those locations, but definitely have some in Africa as well. So the proximity, as well as that compression, you know, is making things a lot easier for them as opposed to other people. So when I press play on a movie or a series, or more accurately, Brendan, when my children press play on a movie or a series, <laughs> where's that information coming from? I mean, I realize it's produced often by, say, I don't know, an American company or a Nigerian company, mm. whatever. It's on a server. Where's the server? How is it traveling around the world to get to me? So that's that's where it becomes more complicated because, like I said, for example, Netflix uses Amazon Web Services. Um, you know, other companies may not have chosen to go with Amazon. You know, as Jan said, you know, Akamai is also quite quite a big one for certain uh, platforms. You know, you've got things like Google, you've got things like Microsoft servers. So different streaming platforms are partnering with different companies for that capacity. And those companies, obviously, you know, whether it's a Microsoft or a Google or an Amazon, have their servers located in different places around the world. So you know, you may get your stuff, you know, your kids when they're pressing play, they may be pressing play on, on Netflix and then one one show might be streaming coming from a server in Africa. But the next show may have been stored on a server, you know, in, in Malaysia or in the US. It depends on how these companies have structured their setup and also their sort of redundancies and their backups to make sure that certain things don't fail. Would I really notice the difference? I mean, does it matter where it is? Does all that matter the size of the pipe, by which I mean the speed of the connection? I mean, it, it does if you have a situation like what's just happened now, you know, where the cables go down. So, you know, there's an undersea rock pool, whatever the case might be. If the server is located in Africa, well, then you should be pretty much fine in those circumstances. If the server is situated in, you know, the EU or in the US, you're going to have a different issue. So then you might see different services working, or you might see, you know, services working slower. So ideally, you do want it to be in the same you know country or continent that you're in. Can the streaming services uh, sort of control all of this? I mean, uh, I know sometimes you, you, you hear in the word in this game sort of throttling. Do streaming services do that? I imagine they don't. They'll just lose business if they did. I mean, it's a, it's it's a bit of an interesting one because they obviously, like any any service, whether it's you know a Twitter or X or whatever it's called these days, um, you know you want to make sure that if if a server goes down somewhere, you've got another server that's up for backup and redundancy, so that your users are not actually experiencing an outage because that's lost business to you. So most companies would look at investing in backups. But not everybody does, and sometimes they're going for the more cost-effective option, which works 90% of the time, but there could be that 10%, where it just doesn't. Are we going to see a situation where actually there are only going to be very few providers for the streaming services? So I'm not talking about the streaming services. I'm talking about mm -hmm. the uh, Akamai and the um, Amazon Web Services, that you're going to end up with just one or two of these services, and one of them will have a near monopoly because of the economies of scale. And I imagine the economies of scale yeah. on operations like that must be huge. Oh, no, they are. I mean, uh, AWS, for example, controls a massive portion of the Internet just in terms of data service and traffic and that sort of thing. And I don't think a lot of people realize that, you know, they arguably are sort of the incumbent and one of the ones to beat. But then you also look at services like like Microsoft, who focuses more on, on the business aspect of things, you know. For
having a conversation around the internet and why there are disruptions to the internet at the moment. And it would seem obvious that halfway through that conversation, there would be a disruption to the service. Some things you kind of know. You don't even need to script them. They're just going to do it themselves. We are speaking to Brendan Peterson. He is uh, from a consultant editor at reframe.co.za. All right, I think he's back with us. Well, Brendan, I was making the point while you were gone that there was obviously going to be some sort of internet uh, disruption while we were talking to you. Uh, you were talking about, the, uh, if I remember correctly, the, the 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 sort of near monopoly that someone like Amazon Web Services have, and I imagine that would be very difficult to break up in the future. Yeah, you know, it is a problem, but as big as the sort of share of the market is, you know, there are also big competitors, which are your Microsoft, your Googles looking to to take that on. I think the ones who are going to win the biggest are the ones already building the infrastructure into Africa and in uh, Africa itself across the continent. If there's more and more infrastructure, more and more services and more and more places, will it always just improve? It'll get better. It'll never get worse. The hope is that it's going to get better, but the problem is also as the scale builds, there's also more scale increasing uh, on the demand side of things. So it's how do you manage that infrastructure versus the demand as well to make sure you're meeting the demand? Because it's not just, you know, these servers are not just being used for streaming service. They're being used for everything. One of the problems we see is that there's obviously huge demand for streaming services at certain times. So in the evening, I presume. Um, mm. Is that the peak time for internet use in South Africa, or does internet use peak time really track working hours? I mean, if you think about it, with a lot of people working remotely, um, you know, some people working remotely for international companies, um, and also just at the end of the day, you get home and you just want to sort of switch off and, and you know, just chill for a bit. You're going to switch on the TV, whether it's just for background noise or you're going to switch on, you know, your, your Spotify or Apple Music or something. You're streaming something somewhere along the way. So evenings do tend to be the sort of highest volume traffic uh, for Internet usage. So that means then that we're likely to have the most congested, the most, what's the phrase, is it contention at that time? That's when streaming services are most likely to have problems in the evening when you want to watch them? Yeah, and that's the worst thing. That's exactly when you want to watch, and that's most likely when the uh, issues are going to happen. Brendan Peterson, thank you very much indeed. Battling a little, again, a little bit against uh, some of the technical problems there. Uh, consultant and editor at reframe.co.za. In a moment, Arthur Goldstock from Worldwide Works. Mediated Conversation on SAFM. Continue your mediated conversation around streaming services in South Africa and how the break in these two cables have had an impact on them and what that tells us about the internet. Arthur Goldstuck is the CEO and a founder at Worldwide Works. Arthur, good morning. Thanks for your time. Good morning, Stephen. We've seen streaming really grow in South Africa. Has that really tracked the rollout of internet fiber or fiber internet, or was it moving before that? It's uh, it's almost a chicken and egg situation, Stephen, where we saw a fiber starting to be uh, rolled out just ahead of the streaming revolution that hit South Africa. Um, a company called Vumatel uh, kicked off the fiber revolution by rolling out in one single suburb um, around eight years ago. And that started the revolution because uh, then Telcom instantly announced, literally uh, within hours, announced that they would also start rolling out uh, fiber to the suburbs. They could have done it a long time before. Um, and Vumintel wasn't responding to the, <clears throat> excuse me, to the streaming revolution, but they were certainly ahead of that revolution and they helped uh, foment that revolution because what we then saw was very shortly after that rollout began, 
Um, Showmax was launched in South Africa, and Netflix came a few months later. We're talking about um, a moment in time where everything came together. So Showmax was launched in August 2015, Netflix in January uh, 2016. And that in turn then uh, pushed the demand for fiber to the home. There was already a, a strong demand for fiber to the business. A lot of small businesses and office parks especially uh, wiring up to the fiber providers. Uh, a range of different kinds of fiber providers also emerged. And then along with that, all the new undersea cables that Jan spoke about uh, earlier made it possible for service providers to get uh, cheaper uh, international bandwidth to connect to their terrestrial fiber grids in South Africa. A company called uh, Dark Fiber Africa was wiring up the cities, mostly for business users, but then in turn, that allowed the likes of uh, Vumitel to connect to their uh, grids and to connect the homes. So it was almost a perfect storm that occurred around 2015, uh, 2016. But it's been building up ever since then. And of course, with the huge demand for streaming and the big uh, success of Netflix in South Africa, as well as Showmax, we saw all the other big streamers arrive in this country as well. And now we really are spoiled for choice, but unfortunately not spoiled for price. Um, we'll come back to that in a moment. The other thing that 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 came in at the same time, but slightly ahead of it, was streaming music. Suddenly, streaming serv- streaming music services came in, and I think for a lot of people, that revolution has happened almost without people noticing. Sure, there were CDs; you just don't have them in your car anymore. But streaming on a phone happened very quickly too. Uh, yes, indeed, we actually had a service in South Africa that was ahead of the international services, uh, and that is called uh, Simfi Africa which is now integrated into uh, MTN's Ayoba app. But uh, that was uh, fairly quickly supplanted by Spotify when it came into South Africa, and then sometime later, um, Apple Music. But Spotify really dominates the game globally as well as in South Africa. And uh, people found that instead of this large collection of CDs, which replaced the large collection of vinyl albums, they could have the entire world's music on their phones. Uh, it was such a no-brainer that the sh- uh, shift happened almost overnight and uh, the CD market died almost overnight globally as well as in South Africa. So, okay, without fiber, this probably wouldn't have happened. But at the same time, the price that you pay to access the Internet on your cell phone has also gone down. Is it really feasible now to stream um, uh, video content, so streaming services, on a cell phone, or is that still very expensive? Uh, Yes and no. So Spotify worked well because it didn't depend on the fiber uh, rollout. It was small files and you could choose to listen to it in more high definition audio or uh, low definition audio. uh, And you could therefore tailor it to your uh, mobile data um, bundle or plan uh, that you had. With um, movies, it's a, a very different story because watching a movie in high definition is going to take a few gigs of data. So without uncapped fiber, it wasn't really feasible. But now you're seeing these massive plans like Telcom, for example, has a, a 40 gig daytime and 40 gig nighttime plan for about 200 rand, which almost sounds like it's uh, as good as fiber at a lower cost. And when you've got that kind of plan, then you can, for example, watch a movie in high definition on your phone um, every few days. 
but it's not the unlimited kind of streaming that you can get on a TV through Netflix or Showmax or Disney Plus. So um, the, uh, the the declining cost of mobile uh, broadband is definitely a factor in uptake for people who only have phones uh, to watch, but it's still a little too expensive. There's still a constraint if you don't have Wi-Fi connection to fiber. Are there still places in South Africa, there must be places in South Africa where it's actually very difficult to stream. There isn't enough fiber, there isn't enough cheap uh, broadband mobile internet. So these these places are in, uh, in danger of almost being left behind. No question about it. So there's this, uh, um, you could almost call it propaganda that the whole of the South African population, or 98% of the population is covered by uh, 4G or 5G. But that's simply not the case in practice. If you go to even uh, something like a game reserve, for example, okay, so you shouldn't really be going to a game reserve and be glued to your uh, TV. But um, somewhere like the Pilansberg, which is quite a vast uh, area, it's almost impossible to get a decent signal anywhere there. And there are a lot of villages around there. There are lodges within uh, the game reserve. And uh, it's in a highly uh, populated area, let's say a densely populated area, that is very poorly served by mobile broadband and certainly uh, a limited extent of uh, fiber connecting those areas. So that's also a factor of the cost of laying down fiber because it's fairly expensive to trench fiber. The fiber cable itself is cheap, but the trenching is an expensive exercise. What we now have rolling out from various providers is something called um, air fiber, which is literally fiber cables running along telephone poles. And that is bringing down the cost of fiber access dramatically. But it's still a slow process getting it out to the more rural areas. Um, do you expect that that's actually going to be resolved? Uh, or could it take a very long time before people are actually able across the entire country to get the kind of internet that people in urban areas have? I think it's going to happen a lot faster than uh, anyone imagines because, in fact, the urban fiber rollout has been a lot quicker than people expected. Uh, people are quite shocked sometimes to discover just how widely fiber to the home has now extended in urban areas and uh, uh, even in uh, township areas. It's now fairly widely available. And the providers, people laying down these cables, providing the services, the internet service providers, are now going to look at the next growth areas. And that, of course, is the more underserviced areas. So we will see that shifting fast. Arthur Goldstock, thank you so much. CEO at Worldwide Works, really appreciate the time. Brendan Peterson is a consultant and editor at reframed.co.za. And Jan Vermeulen starting us off today, the editor at mybroadband.co.za. We will see you again tomorrow. Thanks for being with us today from Mpo, Stanza, Mdu, myself. Look after yourself. You are there, CFM. Enjoy your Thursday, leading the conversation 9 o'clock.